0: Hey, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them and turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab one and the seat back in front of you. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, which is one of the black hardback Bibles, and we're on page 948 or close to it. My versions or my copyright pages are a little bit different, but that'll get you close to it if not right on it. Romans chapter 12 in verse 9. We've been in a series where we've just been talking about what are the Mark's of a true Christian, what are the marks of someone who is uh, mature in Christ and walking with Christ? Now, I want to be clear that as we've talked about this, this is not goals to accomplish in the sense of once you once you're there, you're done. But it's very much like a health checkup that you can one day be healthy and the next day not be healthy in some of these areas. And so, this is more just an ongoing evaluation that scripture gives us on how to think about walking mature in the Lord. And this week will be in Romans chapter 12, just verse 9. It says this Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. I want to read it again and allow you to meditate on these simple three statements. Let love be genuine abhor what is evil, and hold fast to what is good. We've been talking about love in our opening scripture for those uh, five of you that were here. No judgment to those who come later. We've been singing about God's love, and we even asked the question now, what is love? Really think about it. I want you to try to define that in your mind even before we begin to unpack it, because the passage starts by saying, let love be genuine. Well, what exactly does that mean? You can find a lot of interesting things on Google, so let me tell you what a few Google people have to say about love. It says this, here's a, one definition, just uh, uh, some random definitions I found. It says this, love means enthusiastically answering my many, many questions, this person says, with an unexpected level of depth. Taking care of me when I'm sick, indulging my need for spontaneity, making Monday chores mundane, chores manageable, and truly seeing my light and looking to amplify rather than dim it. Interesting. Focus just on the idea. This person says that love for them is someone helping them out and caring for them. Another person, a 27-year-old, said this. Love is a trust I place in someone. Love is a space for refuge, for pain, and for growth. Love is walking through a world of cold, dead pain and knowing that there are human hearts beating somewhere and that one of them beats for me. And then my heart flutters like a dream come true. Somewhat poetic. One last definition from Elizabeth, who's uh, just, uh, uh, Elizabeth, I don't know her last name, age 27 also. She says, I'm not sure about romance other than it's absurd in reference to love. (laughs) Love. Okay, um, but my best friend and I sent each, each other the exact same email this morning, and if that isn't love, I don't know what is. it is. All right, so you email someone, that's an act of love. The point is, is when we think about love, there's a lot of different definitions that come our way, but we want to see what does the Bible say love is. And it might be helpful before we answer the question what love is, is to help define about what it is not. Two things that it is not to help us better understand what it is. First, love is not transactional. When we think about transactional relationships and there are need for transactional relationships in our life, for example, my relationship with uh, the grocery store I go to and my grocer and maybe the gas station I choose to go to or my mechanic. Uh, my mechanic and I have a, had a good relationship over the years, and, but those are transactional relationships where I show acts of love and kindness and service in the form of a payment and he shows love and kind and service towards me in the act of fixing my car. And a lot of times when we think about love and how we care for one another and the relationships that we have, a lot of our relationships are transactional. Maybe even to with your employer or with employees you may have, those relationships are transactional. That there are acts of service and love and kindness and maybe some things that revolve around love but they're always for the gain of you and maybe for the gain of others, but you do it because you gain. Secondly, love is not transactional, but this is similar, but maybe heightens the emphasis a little bit by saying that love is not contractual. A lot of times when we think about marriage, this is a good example where we think about love as a contract, especially in the world's idea of marriage. I would argue that The church will define it with a little more emphasis, but the world would define love very much in the act of marriage of, yes, caring for someone and giving your life to someone and serving someone as long as it still benefits you. A lot of times what happens is you'll hear definitions, and I hear this in marriage counseling and talking to people and say, that at the end of the day, that divorce happened and, or whatever happened, or maybe not even a, a marriage, but even just in a relationship or even in a friendship where there is a deeper intimate relationship until it no longer benefits you. And then there's a the decision to step out of that. Now, I'm being vague intentionally. We're not talking. There are some reasons and you do need to think about protecting yourself in a various ways of emotion and stuff. And so there, there is a room for discussion, friendships being harmful and you choosing to step away from that friendship. I've given that advice at times too. But the point is that those things are not necessarily bad. Those are just realities of a form of love. But when we talk about love being genuine and we begin to unpack it, we draw this conclusion that both transactional and contractional love are conditional That they have conditions into which love is shown. And the condition ultimately is, I will show you acts of love and care and service as long as it ultimately still benefits me and does not hurt me. But when we look at the scripture definition of love, we conclude that love is not conditional. It is, in fact, unconditional. Just kind of give some a definition to this idea a little bit. Dr. Peter Colella, so a psychotherapist who is not a Christian, at least based off what I can tell from his writing, he says this, when we were children, we deserved and needed a type of unconditional love in a sense where my children, when they're children, I love them, but they do nothing for me. And so it's un- my love for them is unconditional. I don't benefit from their existence. In fact, I lose sleep. I lose money. I lose a lot of things because there is, there's an act of unconditional, meaning there's a season in our life in which we need that unconditional love in order to survive. But he says this, but now as an adult, we can understand what it takes to be loved. And he says this, we need to be lovable. What he's saying is, is we need to be lovable in order to receive love, meaning you earn it to some degree. That you do something to earn someone else's love, that you cannot expect unconditional love. But I would argue in disagreement to say that's in fact what Scripture is talking about here when it says let love be genuine in the scripture idea of love. Love is unconditional means that love is selfless. Love is giving yourself for the betterment of another person. Love is for the sake of love and caring for no other reason. Uh, Jesus would say this in Luke chapter 6. It'll be on the screen, verse 32 and 36. He says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? What's he saying? If you love someone who loves you, that's transactional. You earn that. What benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. So he's talking about contractual love and transactional love, conditional love. That's not, the, that's not real love, for even sinners do that. He continues on. If you do good to those who do good to you, or show an act of kindness to someone who is kind to you, what benefit is that to you? He's saying this isn't love, for even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Meaning, he's talking about love and he's trying to define it by saying if there's a transaction going on, it's not really love, but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the most high for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil be merciful even as your father is merciful what is Jesus saying that love is unconditional that true love love of the kingdom the love of Christ not man's definition not google's definition or some other opinion out there on twitter or tiktok but from god's word love is unconditional. John fifteen thirteen. Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for a friend. What do you gain when you give your life away for another friend? You've lost your life. What have you gained? It's an act of love that expects nothing in return. It is unconditional. Let me illustrate it this way. My wife, uh, a few weeks ago, we were driving and um, I said, I love you to her. And I said, I love you to the kids. And as I often do, and she asked this question, why do you love me? Now, men, let me warn you. Um, You could go really, uh, you could end up in the doghouse based off how you answer that question. And so there's a little bit of a panic moment. Now, this this question can apply in a lot of relationships. I'm just sharing the story from the perspective of a husband. And my wife goes, why do you love me? And I quickly Uh, uh, well, I start thinking through some answers, you know, because I wasn't really prepared for that. And you know, what is the right answer to that question? Well, men, I'm going to tell you the right answer to that question. You're going to learn something. I'm going to keep you out of the doghouse. Is the answer, oh, because you're beautiful and I just think you're gorgeous. Is it you're so kind and nice and you're just so loving and, and caring is it that you are a Michelin star chef and that you just cook so great, and I'm just grateful for that, or that you love our kids so well, or you take care of me so well, or you work so hard at your job, or all these type answers? And here's here's the reality: is it's none of those are answers, the right answer. And here's why: because all of those are conditional. The second I tell my wife that I love her because she's beautiful. Um, I had my pastor said this once to someone in marriage counseling, and I thought this was quite bold. Uh, But he told a couple in pre-marriage counseling to look at each other, and he says, this is as good as it gets. (laughs) And what he was implying was um, we get older and life changes. And I was like, that's kind of bold to say to someone, but, but there's some truth to that. So what happens if my love is conditioned upon beauty, but beauty's subjective and beauty changes? what happens if I say I love you because you cook really great and then all of a sudden maybe something changes, my appetite changes or something of that nature or of kindness and, and maybe things happen and stress comes and kindness isn't there. The second I answer that question with any answer, now it's not to say I can't be kind and say these are some good things about you, but the reality is all of those are conditional and my wife now has to bear the burden of my love under those answers. So actually, the right answer to that question is that immediate thought that comes to your mind in panic of saying, I don't know. Not, I don't know, like, why do you love me? Be like, I don't know, I've been trying to answer that for a while. Not that kind of I don't know. But it's like, I don't know. In the sense of, I don't have a reason. See, what I said to my wife was, I gave her some answers. And then I said, no, actually, I realized I love you because I love you. I don't have a reason for my love because my love is unconditional. That when I stepped into marriage, I covenanted my life to say, my love for you is not conditioned on any answer that comes to my mind. And the same is true when we think about the love of Christ. Believe it or not, the best answer to the question is, why do you love me? is I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't actually have a reason. Now, I have kind things to say about my wife, but there's not a reason for my love other than for love's sake. And this is the way that Christ loves us. So imagine... Jesus asking the question, or us asking the question, Jesus, why do you love me? And if we ask Jesus that question, why do you love me? And he answers, you know, Jonathan, I love you because you're a nice person. Or Jonathan, I love you because, you know, you went to church a lot growing up. I love you because you read your Bible. I love you because you memorize scripture. I love you because you don't cuss and you don't go with the girls who do. That's a Southern saying. Maybe whatever answer that may come to your mind But here's the problem with that. All those are conditional because the second Jesus says, I love you for any reason of those, I'm now having to bear the weight of that condition. And if I don't live up to that condition, then guess what? I no longer have the love of God. And Jesus actually says the answer to the question, well, Jesus, why do you love us? And he goes, I don't know. In the sense of I don't have a reason other than that I do. That there's nothing in you that causes me to love you, I just simply love you because in my sovereign plan, in my eternal care and grace and mercy, I choose to bestow my love upon you. When it says, let love be genuine, the Greek word is actually not hypocritical. It's literally a hypocriticus or something to that nature. I didn't write it down, but you can hear the hypocrite in it. A means no, so not hypocritical. Meaning it's not fake. You're you're not doing love just for the sake of fakeness because you benefit from us. That's hypocritical love, conditional love. I'm loving you and I'm being nice to you because I benefit from it. That's hypocritical. But let love be genuine as genuine love is unconditional. Genuine love is love for no reason at all. It is just love for love's sake. This is how we are called to love others. We are called to love others in this unconditional way. Now, you may be thinking, I I can't do that. Begin to think about the relationships you have. What relationships in your life are defined with this type of love? There are some, but even then we struggle with them. And the thought is, and the text doesn't say, let love be genuine to your spouse. Because when I think about unconditional love, I can fathom that with my spouse. I can fathom that with my kids. But... As a mark of a Christian, in general, in my relation to others, let love be genuine. Let love be unconditional. Let me kind of illustrate the thought this way. In In thinking about that, how can we do this? How can we do this? We need to come to the conclusion, to some degree, you can't. You can't do this. Let me illustrate it this way. Imagine, well, you don't have to imagine. This is true for all of us that we're not independently wealthy, that, that we actually have to work to earn our income. But we have a limited amount of time. But because we're not independently wealthy and we need resources to pay our bills, we have to allot a part of that time, usually nine to five, um, or some section of time to go to work. And we go to work to make money because we're what? Not independently wealthy. We have a certain amount of time and we use that time to go and have an income or salary or whatever, and someone were to come to you tonight and say, hey, you know what, I just need you. I need you all day tomorrow. Like, I'm struggling, I need some help, I need you all day tomorrow. Now, some of you, depending on who it is and the extremity of that, you might be able to go, all right, let me take off work last minute, but for the most part, we gotta go, I I can't tomorrow, I gotta go to work. (laughs) I got bills to pay, I got things to do. And so, you aren't able to just be there fully and to help people fully. But imagine if you were independently wealthy. Imagine you had the blessing of millions in the bank or billions, or I was getting my hair cut last week and um, I'm a pretty introverted person. And so my haircut, I hardly ever talk, but I, uh, my, me and my man, Steve, he's been cutting my hair for a few years and we've had like five sentences. We actually talk more than that. But he was like, hey man, did you, did you see the Powerball? It's like $1.7 billion dollars. Man, if I could just win that, I'd at least get 900 million. I'd be good with that. I'm like, yeah, I'd be good with that too. But imagine you did win the Powerball, all right? Imagine you had this, uh, just these funds, and someone were to say to you, hey, I-, I need you tomorrow. I'd be like, yeah, I don't have to work. I can- you- There's this freedom because of the abundance of resources to be able to change how you give your time and how you give your resources to other people. Well, I want you to think about this as it relates to love from a man's perspective, and the natural means as we think about love, we are not independently wealthy. We, We all need love, and God has created us for love, and so all of us have love that we need to receive from others, and all of us have love we need to give to others. And so we have relationships, and we transactionally use love in order to receive love, in order to give love, whether it be relationships with friends and relationships with our spouse or uh, uh, someone we're dating or even a coworker that there's this love that I give you because I need it right and to some extent I do need love for my wife and so maybe there's an act of service I give for my wife because I want my wife t- to like me and love me and this is the natural way that relationships work whether it be a spouse whether it be a friend whether it be a coworker. we do things that they want in order to get what we want because what we're not independently wealthy in love in the natural sense but what if we were independently wealthy in love what if i didn't need to work for my money nor did i need to work for love what if I had a source of love that was eternally great that I no longer impacted how I loved others in order to receive something from them, but I had plenty of love and my identity was from that love and therefore I could love my wife and I could love my kids and I could love my friends and I could love the stranger on the street, not because I need their love, because I independently have that love that forms my identity. So now I can just simply give it away. Well, this is true in the person of Jesus this is why when we talk about even singing love and I say to you that I desire for you to feel God's love because the truth is as Christians we are independently wealthy in love. We have an eternal God who has poured out his love on us for all eternity that we no longer have to treat others in a means to get something from them to fill up our love bank because we have this eternal love in Christ. Our call to be genuine love unconditional and to love others genuinely is fueled by the reality that Christ loves us. John Calvin says this, it is difficult to express how ingenuous almost all people are in counterfeiting a love which they do not really possess. Love must never be used as, as a disguise for ulterior means. True love is free from all pretense and hypocrisy. Do you love people like that? Do you love? Feel and understand God's love like that. Romans twelve nine says, let love be genuine. But it goes on to say this, abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Genuine love produces a hatred for evil. Think about it. We often think that love and hatred are the opposites. That you either love something or hate something, and we see them as the opposite of each other. But in fact, I want to argue that love and hatred are two sides of the same coin. I want to argue that the opposite of love is not hatred. The opposite of love is indifference, right? It's it's just not caring at all. But in fact, love and hatred go together. Let me give an example of this. A few weeks ago, I was picking my kids up from school, and they wanted to play on the playground. And so they're playing on the playground a little bit. I had a book. I was reading a book. And this lady comes by, and she goes, Hey, do anybody know whose kid this is? I don't know. I, just, I was like, oh, what did someone do? I hope it wasn't my kid. I looked quickly to see it wasn't my kid. I was like, whew. Well, this lady starts getting mad. She finds out who the parent is, and she just is mad. And she's mad because this is like kindergarten, first grade. So they're young kids. But this little boy had, I guess, grabbed and pulled this woman's daughter. And because of her love for her daughter, that birthed in her an anger and a madness Because of a love for her daughter. Because her daughter, someone had done something to. And then she got really, really mad. And she started saying, you need to keep an eye on your son. And went on and on. And then she moved on and called her friend. And got even more mad and was telling her friend about it. But what's the point? If it wasn't her daughter or if it wasn't someone else and it wasn't a big deal, she might have seen it or not seen it and been indifferent to it. But it was the love that she had that birthed in the anger and the hatred that's, kind of came out of her in that moment let me ask you this question given a further examples of this idea of how love and anger and hatred kind of run together as two rails on a railroad do have you ever loved someone who was addicted to something have you ever loved someone who was doing something that you knew that wasn't good for them what happens you get angry Right? You get angry at what they're doing. You love them, and because you love them, you get angry at the hurt that is inside of them or the hurt they're doing to themselves. Tim Keller tells the story, and um, a quick preface to the story or to a, using this Tim Keller quote is, uh, some of you know this, I'm working on my dissertation, and I'm writing it on Timothy Keller. And so what I'm doing is I'm listening to all of his sermons, 2,000 sermons over the span of the next four years and writing my dissertation on it. And so uh, you're gonna hear me talk about Tim Keller probably more than you like. Especially, one of the things I've noticed is I'm beginning to listen to his sermons. I'm about 50 sermons in at this point. Got a long ways to go. Probably 35 of those sermons, he references C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis is a, is a great uh, Christian author, Narnia. You've probably heard of some of his books. And I'm like, well, if Tim Keller can quote people all the time, same person over and over, guess what? I'll quote the same person over and over. So get used to hearing Tim Keller. But Tim Keller tells a story Before he pastored in New York, he pastored in Virginia. And he tells the story of he went to court with a guy that was in his church, one of the leaders in his church, and his son was on trial and was about to be sentenced for some things he had done. He had stolen some things. He didn't give a lot of specifics, but he had done a number of things. And he said he noticed something in this man while he was at court. He saw two sides to this father. One, he saw a deep uh, love for his son. He he saw a, a love that was Hoping and desiring for mercy from the judge, a love that would care for the, that didn't want his son to go through some of the consequences he's about to face. But at the same time, because of the uh, uh, hatred, if you will, for what the harm and the evil that was in his son, he also knew that the judge had to be just and the judge needed to deal with it and that his son would never learn unless he had some of these consequences. E.F. Gifford says this. The more a father loves his son, the more he hates in him the liar, the drunkard, and the traitor. The more the father loves his son, the more he hates in him the liar, the drunkard, and the traitor. And that was true for this man. The same idea is true for us, that love and hatred go together. Another example, real quickly, is Patrick Lencioni. He's a leadership guy, and he talks about conflict on one of his podcasts. And he tells the story of some friends that they had that uh, they knew for a long time and they end up getting a divorce and the wife came to him and she confessed to Patrick Lencion and she goes, I really thought you and your wife would end up getting a divorce. And he said, why? That <laughs> was a strong statement. But she's, she's about to say something nice. She said, because you and your wife used to always argue and me and my husband never did. And Patrick Lencioni tells this story to say, it is because I care deeply for my wife and I care deeply for what's going on in her life and what's deeply what's going on in our kids that we would conflict about things. Why? Because we cared. And he points out that this couple never fought because they didn't care. There's an indifference. There's a lack of love. I use that to illustrate to say this, that love and anger go together. There's no better place that we see this in the person of Jesus. See, because of our sin, God hated the sin that was in us. Scripture makes that very clear, and that God is a God of anger towards our sin. And now you may be listening to that, and you may go, you know what, that's old school. Like, that's old school Christian religion of talking about a God who is angry, but you've got to understand something. To say that God is angry and has a, is a God of anger against sin and evil is to also say that He is a great God of love. You cannot go, God, I want the God of the the Bible that talks about love and the love side of things, well, we just talked about, but if he loves us, he must then get angry at the things that are harmful within us. The things that are harmful within his world. God is angry at this world and the sin and the brokenness in this world because he loves this world. If he did not love this world, he would be indifferent to the sin and the brokenness in our lives. So when I sit here and I say to you that God is angry at the sin and evil within us, that is a statement about God's love, not about his Hatred necessarily towards you, but the evil within you. And because God is angry, he has to deal with that sin. Do you understand that God's anger towards sin is what birthed the idea of the cross? That the anger towards sin is sin had to be dealt with. The problem is, how does a just God deal with sin in a just way without killing and destroying us? Is because anger and hatred and love go together. That God's genuine love for us caused a genuine hatred of evil. And that hatred of evil and anger calls for God to be just over that anger. And so he creates judgment in the form of the cross. But instead of placing us on the cross, he, in his love and mercy, steps in on the cross for us. See, to say that God is loving is to say that he hates evil. How can a God be just against anger and his anger towards sin and also loving at the same time? It is to pour out his anger and his love at the same moment. And the only way that is possible is through the person of Jesus. Do you understand that reality? That is the only way that he can pour out his anger and his love without killing us. And so he went and he got on the cross and he stayed on the cross bearing literally hell on earth so you never have to do you catch that that he endured god's the father's anger and hatred over our sin, so we never have to he deals with it in a loving way in order to pour out his love on us see when we say let love be genuine and abhor what is evil those are two sides of the same coin now let's answer the question in closing in an application because we have genuine love we abhor evil and hold fast to what is good in three areas in our lives. We abhor evil that is within us. Before we start looking at the world around us, we got to start with us. We got to be honest that Jeremiah 17 says our hearts are deceitfully wicked above all things. There's evil in our hearts and we need to love God genuinely and abhor that evil that is within us. This is not self-deprecating and depression type talk. But what it is, is honest, humble talk and looking at a mirror and seeing our blind spots that Jesus died for and going, he already carried those on the cross. And so God, let me love you. And would you heal those areas in my life? We abhor evil that is within us. We abhor evil that is within those we love. In the same way that father hated the evil that was in his son. We look at the people around us that we love and we hate the evil within them. And so we love them by letting them know and helping them out with those things. This is one of the reasons why in church, uh, church word that we're, no one's fond of, uh, church discipline. A lot of times I think about church discipline, and it's like, oh, discipline, you know, this Christian religious idea. But at the heartbeat, church discipline is an act of love. It, it's people in your life, and you live in community with others so they can point out your blind spots. What are blind spots? They're blind spots. Why are they blind spots? Because you're blind to them. You are blind to those areas in your life, and so it is an act of love for us to hate the evil within others and to lovingly point them to that truth. And then lastly, we abhor within the world the evil that exists. We abhor the evil that is in the world that Jesus loves. I'm reading a biography right now Martin Luther King Jr. I was reading it on the plane last night called The Preacher King, and it's just a story uh, of him and his preaching, examination of his preaching, but... When we think about uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and uh, just the beautiful his beautiful preaching and his call and his, we often think of his "I Have a Dream" speech. And but we most people don't understand that he was a pastor. He was a third generation pastor and preacher. And at the core of who he was was a preacher who, because of genuine love for God and Jesus and recognizing God's genuine love for his creation and the image of God of everybody in creation, he stood up and said, I hate the injustice that I see. And we too, in that same lens, out of great love for other people, look at the injustices in our world and we speak out against them. Sometimes I think people in the church, we hear these ideas like social justice and we often go, well, you know, we need to preach the gospel and not, not focus on social justice. But you realize that's an oxymoron for us to preach the gospel that God loves all people is to then hate evil and justice that we see that's happening in the lives of people It's to stand up and say, we are not okay with this in the same way that that mom on the playground said, "Uh-uh, it ain't okay for you to grab my daughter. We stand up and say, ah, it is not okay for you to treat someone God loves that way. Do you understand that let love be genuine and abhor what evil will cause and propel us into the world to cry out for injustices? And in fact, a lack of love shows indifference to injustices around us. How, how do you respond to injustices in the world around you? If it's indifference, it's revealing a lack of love. It's revealing that we need that... Um, eternal love to fill us up. Do you know the love of Jesus that way? Do you know the unconditional love of Jesus? And then I close with this with this quotation. Dr. Peter Colellis, the psychotherapist I mentioned earlier, says this. As mature adults, we cannot expect unconditional love from another person. And I would agree with him in the natural state. Now, from a Christian perspective, I think we have the ability, but from a natural state, He's right. We cannot expect unconditional love from another person. Human love is never unconditional. And once again, I agree. Human love is not. But I think humans filled with Christ have the ability. But he, he, he ends with this. If we want and desire to have unconditional love, we need to get a dog. That's his advice. Psychotherapist who says, you want love? The best answer I got for you is a dog which they do love us unconditionally. But I want to cry out to you today and say, I just wish he knew Jesus because he would understand the, the dog's good, but Jesus is eternally better. You want unconditional love? Might you turn to Jesus today? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the unconditional love that you have towards us. Unconditional that you loved us so much that you hated the evil within us that you said, you know what, I'll deal with that evil and show my love at the same time. I'll take on the evil. I'll get on the cross so that we could have your eternal love. Lord, I pray for everybody in this room that they know that love today. That they would see that no one else can carry the burden of loving them unconditionally and be faithful to it. But you can. As much as I love my wife and my kids, I'll let them down at some point. And I know that other people that I love and love me will let me down at some point. That's okay, we move on from that. But that, I'm so grateful that I'm not dependent upon those loves because I have your love. That when someone does let me down or I let someone else down, that I am not crushed because that love was burden was not met. Because my love burden, you carried on the cross. And once and for all, you have an, an unending supply of love for me. And so I rest in that love today. And I pray that's true for every person in this room. Pray that you would rest in the love of Jesus today. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is New Hope NYC. Our website is www.newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have 4 p.m. worship gatherings on Sundays at 164 2 Gothel's Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.